As we continue in our worship, would you join me in Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read in verse 13. Now let me rehearse quickly what we're doing. We are looking at what the scripture has to say about anxiety. Most of us grew up in church where we were told, just don't be anxious, just trust the Lord. And I think the scripture is a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more uh, helpful than statements like that. We've also been told that fear or uncertainty or anxiety, as I'm using the term, uh, is sinful. And it's my argument that uncertainty or fear in this current world, in a world after the fall uh, of mankind into sin, that fear and anxiety, uncertainty are pretty normal in this abnormal world, and that God doesn't criticize us for that. He understands as creatures in a world outside of our control that, uh, that we're going to experience feelings of anxiety or uncertainty. Instead, what he does is he is very compassionately comforting and encouraging us and trying to build our faith and lead us to build our faith so that we will process the uncertainty that we feel in his presence from a worldview with God at the center. And I think those are some of the main issues that we face, uh, that we struggle with when we feel anxious. So I want to remind you as we begin that God loves you, that if you're feeling anxious, that God is compassionate towards you, that it is your good shepherd who turns to his disciples and says, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And this is in Luke uh, 12 and verse uh, 32, I believe. And then Jesus says in verses 21 through, uh, through 34, he says often, over and over, uh, your Father values you more than the flora and the fauna, more than the animal kingdom and more than the plant kingdom, the plant world. And so Jesus has tons of grace and compassion uh, for anxious people, for God's anxious children. And uh, I want you, I want to encourage you to lower your guard and uh, be willing to engage in these moments uh, your anxiety and let the scriptures speak into them, knowing that God loves you and really has something for you. Uh, typically, our anxiety is not dealt with well. We do not deal with it in the presence of God. And so our anxiety leads us away from the Lord. And so my goal is to help us develop new patterns that can lead, when we feel uncertain, that we can move towards the Lord instead of being led away from Him, more isolated, more independent, more on our own, which is pretty typical in our culture today. So in your Bibles to Luke 12, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, This is Jesus turning from the man he's instructing to the disciples or to his audience. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, 
Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, we'll sprinkle in some of the text that we looked at last week as Jesus tells his disciples not to be anxious. Remember that the ESV translates that Greek word anxious uh, when the NIV translates it worry. Uh, I'm arguing that anxiety is normal. Uh, These feelings of uncertainty are normal in a very abnormal world, and that what Jesus is addressing is not the feeling of uncertainty, but what we do with it, how we handle that uncertainty. And that's why the word anxious in the ESV is better translated worry. And that's the, the constant processing of the threat that we're facing, trying to find some type of hope and a solution. And so I think something's happening in the text that's really helpful. Uh, There's a man who's addressing Jesus. Maybe his brother is in the audience. And he says out loud in the presence of this influential man, Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to give me my portion of the inheritance. And there's something happening there that I think is very insightful. I think it's very insightful how Jesus responds. Jesus turns to his audience and says, Be on form. Uh, be on alert for every form of greed, or what the ESV translates covetousness. Both the man and Jesus' response tell us that something is creating anxiety in this man's life. And he is using a very public way of trying to get Jesus to twist his brother's arm to give him what he wants. And this is the context of which Jesus says, verse 22, Therefore, I tell you not to be anxious. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to read previous texts to see what it's there for. So Jesus is speaking about anxiety based on the conversation that he is having with this man who wants a portion of the inheritance that he hasn't gotten. And so make the connection, not necessarily that all anxiety comes out of greed, but all anxiety comes out of values or something that we hold dear. And so here's going to be the lesson that I think for today. Anxiety is natural, but it doesn't remain neutral for very long. Anxiety is natural, but it doesn't remain neutral. It evaluates and demands action. It evaluates and demands action. So think about point number one in your outline, what's happening in the text. When valuables are threatened, I feel anxious. When something I value is being threatened, I feel anxious. We experience anxiety when something we value is threatened. And I'm going to call these are valuables, are valuables. Now, for the man in the story, what did he value? Well, he valued the inheritance that he was due. And it wasn't just the land or the money. It's what that would do for him. 
It's what it meant for his life to have that inheritance or to have that land or that property that he could use to produce or sell and have gain. And so Jesus zeroes in on a, on a parable of a man who had plenty. He had a good crop one year, but, but the focus is on what he values, and he valued money and the, what the money would do for him. It would give him ease, rest, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, you have all that you need for many years. And so here's the point. What, um, when something that is valuable is being threatened, I'm going to feel anxious. In fact, I would argue that all of our anxiety comes out of a valuable thing being threatened. Now, let's back that up. If you don't value something and it's threatened, you're not going to feel anxious. Uh, if you put ice cream, or if someone put ice cream in my refrigerator freezer, and one evening after dinner, I hear someone rummaging in the freezer. Uh, I'm not a big ice cream eater, so I could care less if somebody eats that ice cream. Uh, I have other people in my family who would be running down saying, that's my ice cream, don't eat it. Now, you put a piece of fruit pie in the fridge, and I'm going to put my name on that. I'm going to protect it because I like fruit pie. So... In the text, and I think in life, whenever something that we value is threatened, that's what creates the anxiety. And so one thing that we can do that we can evaluate is what valuable is being threatened? What valuable is being threatened? What thing do you hold valuable that's being threatened right now? And I would encourage you to pull out a journal and to write that down. In this moment, I'm feeling anxious. What is it that I value? And it doesn't have to be a thing. It can be a person. Um, I remember buying one of my children an electric car. I bought it used off a guy who did rehab work on these little electric cars, bought new batteries, and then sold them for a profit. And I put one of my children in the electric car, and as soon as he got in, uh, so now you know it's one of three, uh, as soon as he got in, he drove away. He left the driveway. He started down the neighborhood road, and he was heading down to see Grandma and Grandpa. At least that's what he said. I'm going to see Papa and Mimi. And uh, I actually believe he would have tried uh, to do that. So I went running after him. I value the child. And uh, he, was, uh, he was facing a threat, and so I went running after him. Flip-flops flying everywhere, right? Um, but I got him back, made him turn around, and made him go home. Whenever something of value is being threatened, and it can be a child, uh, it can be your job, it can be more internal things like your reputation or your, uh, you know, your own rest. Uh, that's often a, a one at our home is when we're not able to sleep, someone's up, someone's making noise, we start to feel anxious, and then how we respond to that becomes the next component. Um, but something of value is being threatened in your life, and that's why you feel anxious. Uh, number two, anxiety requires something of you. You don't feel anxious unless you have estimated and evaluated. Uh, you've estimated the value of, or the worth of your valuable, and you've evaluated your situation, the threat that you're facing, your resources to face that threat, so there's estimation, there's more to anxiety than just a valuable being threatened. 
you can evaluate the, that valuable, but you're also estimating the worth of it. You're asking questions like, can I live without it? If you can't live without it, then you're going to fight really hard for it. You're going to respond to the uncertainty that you feel. Anxiety requires estimation and evaluation. You're asking questions like, what do I stand to lose? What is that worth to me? Can I live without it? Um, and your response is therefore calibrated by your value assessment and the threat assessment that you've done. Um, so it's like you're buying a piece of jewelry and you're going to someone who is estimating the value for you and telling you, this is what it's worth. This is how much you should insure it for. Uh, this is the value that we would place on it, kind of like an auction hunter or something, where the person is, you could sell this in auction for a million dollars, and the, you know, the person can't believe it. Well, you've done that estimation work. You've done that, in, that, uh, that work of estimating your reputation, estimating the value of uh, your free time. And when the boss asks you to, uh, to use some of your free time, you're going to feel some level of anxiety, and you're going to respond. You've done the work already of estimating what's important to you, your value system, your valuables, your treasure is what the scripture calls it, where your treasure is. Um, there's your heart. So you've already done that estimating work, and then you've already, and in the moment, you evaluate the threat that you're facing compared with the value of your valuable, of your treasure. And so in that moment, a lot more is happening than simply something you value is being threatened. Your, and a value is being expressed, the worth of your valuable and your evaluation of the situation. And the question might become, have you factored God into this moment of uncertainty? What would God say to this? One of your study questions is a fascinating story about Elisha who keeps giving away the enemy's secrets. And so the enemy can't win. They, they go to a certain location to lag wait, and God tells Elisha what they're doing, and Elisha tells the, the king, and so the king avoids that area. And so the enemy gets really frustrated, and they, they figure out what's going on, and they go surround the city that Elisha is living in. And his servant gets up, pours his coffee, and walks out in the back porch to have a beautiful you know, morning cup of coffee, and he sees an army surrounding the city. And, you know, coffee drops, he runs in, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, Father, praying to God, open his eyes. And the text says that God opened his eyes, and instead of just seeing the armies encamped against him, he sees the armies of the Lord encamped on the hills surrounding the army that threatens him. And what happens to his anxiety? What happens to his uncertainty? What happens to his fear? It's, it abates. It goes away. Because in the moment of that evaluation, he didn't think about God. He didn't see God's presence or God in the moment. And so uh, our response is calibrated by our threat assessment and our value assessment. In addition, and this is where this is the kind of the next deeper level, our value assessment and our threat assessment is based on our worldview. 
It's based on how we view life. Is God in control in this moment? And if if God's in control, does he love me in this moment? And does he only want what's best for me in this moment? And so if this thing, if what I'm about to go through is a real hardship, maybe it's a threat to my health. If what I'm about to go through is a real hardship, do I can I trust the Lord in this moment? Have we that looked at the valuable that we have and gotten a biblical assessment of its worth? And then have we evaluated the situation with God in the midst? Because our worldview is what calibrates our value assessment and our threat evaluation. And notice something that Jesus says in uh, chapter 12 and verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Think about that. Jesus is saying, specifically talking about the Pharisees, that the disciples were afraid of and not willing, verse 13, to name the name of Jesus in their presence for fear of what the Pharisees can do. And Jesus says, all they can do is take your life. They can't condemn you to hell. And it's really fascinating to see Jesus take the value of life and actually diminish it just a bit and say, that's not what you should be afraid of. Yeah, they can take your life, but that's all they can do. Um, My value assessment, my threat assessment, all comes out of a worldview. And so the question becomes, is God at the center of that? All of this is affected by the distortion of my own heart. So my worldview is always tainted by the noetic effects of sin, by how sin has affected me and my entire being. And that that means my worldview has distortion, which means my valuations have distortions, and it means my, means my appraisal of the threat has a distortion, and it means that my response is everything about me is going to have this distortion because of sin in my life, because my worldview is skewed by sin and by my own distorted view of myself, God, and others. Uh, thirdly, anxiety demands a response. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. You see what this man is doing in our text. He's trying to twist Jesus's arm or trying to get Jesus to twist his brother's arm to give him his inheritance. Uh, this is, you know, this is classic sibling behavior, right? You go to mom, mom, tell, tell Tony to do this for me. You know, that's my, one of my older brothers. Um, anxiety demands that we take some kind of action. Now it can be reasonable, responsible action. Or it can be indifference, or it can be fearful action, action based on fear. And so what what you see here is a a little diagram of of poles, right? Um, In the center is appropriate concern. Uh, there's, There's an appropriate level of concern that I have when I feel threatened. And it should lead me to an appropriate assessment an appropriate evaluation of what is being threatened, it should lead me to responsible, God-honoring responses, responses that reflect God loves me and is in control of my life. 
Um, if I feel like I can't, I don't have the resources, it should lead me to prayer and it should lead me to greater dependence on the Lord as I look for God to work on my behalf because I'm powerless to work. Um, there are two extremes here, two poles. One is indifference. Uh, this is when I, when I feel anxious and I, I don't think I can solve the problem. Uh, I don't have the resources. I don't have the intellect. Um, and even if I did, I've tried to solve this problem before and it didn't matter. I didn't get the outcome I wanted. This is hopelessness. And so hopelessness can lead us to indifference. We see this in politics, right? Uh, we look, I don't know about you, I feel threatened by my own government. Uh, the spending, I mean, the, the, way, the, the policies, uh, the laws that are passed, there's a real uncertainty that's created, anxiety that's created in the political system today. If I feel like my vote doesn't matter, I'm going to be indifferent. And this is what we see sometimes with the younger generations who say, well, what difference does it make if I get involved? And so I'm not going to vote. My vote doesn't matter. And so indifference sets in. Um, and then you have people who go the opposite extreme, and they're very anxious about their, uh, their government. And so there's, there's fear that's expressed often in anger and uh, in, in phobias and things that are developed that you see and that you hear in the news and in many of the protests, what you're looking at is people who are uncertain, they're feeling anxious, and they're lashing out. Uh, they're lashing out against those in leadership. So instead of appropriate concern, I've gotten discouraged, and I've gotten hopeless, and so I'm indifferent. So I let valuable things go instead of pursuing responsible behavior. Then the opposite end of the spectrum is post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, there's a lot between appropriate concern and post-traumatic stress disorder. There's worry. I think worry would come next. Then there's uh, anxiety disorder, and that's not acute. It's just kind of general anxiety disorder. Uh, then often we develop phobias, uh, things that we're afraid of. I'm afraid of flying, someone might say, or I'm afraid of roller coasters, someone might say. And what's happened is their uncertainty has led them to a place where they are saying no to something uh, they're unwilling to do something because of their fear. Their fear has actually gripped them in an unhealthy way. Um, then they can develop panic attacks from that. They can develop acute or very intense anxiety disorder. Uh, we're, now we're starting to have a hard time functioning in daily life. Um, then there's um, OCD where people are having uh, very intrusive moments of fear and anxiety, and it, re it requires from them a uh, compulsive action. Um, I experienced this as a child with certain things in my room. I had to turn the lights on and off a certain number of times. Um, had to leave the bed. I mean, had to step on certain things. That I was starting to experience this in my own life, and it was the result of undealt with anxiety or anxiety that was not dealt with in a healthy way. And it began to create actual function pro functioning problems in my own life. Uh, from there, you can go all the way to PTSD, where the anxiety is actually living with you all day. You can't get rid of it. It's not momentary. It's all day. You live in the uh, post-traumatic, the after-the-trauma uh, fear of the trauma. It just lives with you, and you can't escape it. And so these are some of the actions that anxiety kind of demands. 
demands that we take some kind of action, either responsible, healthy uh, actions or actions that are based on hopelessness or actions that are based on fear. Um, but anxiety, whatever it is, demands an action. And Jesus is not addressing appropriate levels of concern and responsible behavior, but the over-concern, the concern that leads to unrest in our souls. And isn't this what Jesus said again in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 14? I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because this is what Jesus wants for us. He wants rest for our souls. And anxiety um, that is hopeless leads to indifference. Anxiety that, that builds fear leads down a path all the way to consuming fear consuming uncertainty that just consumes our daily lives. And Jesus wants to deal with that, uh, those levels of anxiety and those actions. And so the point being that anxiety can be evaluated. This is point number four in your outline. Anxiety is something that can be evaluated. There are evalu evaluation pegs that we can look at. There are, there are points of evaluation that we can, as caregivers, sit down with our children or sit down with our spouse and ask some very important questions. Uh, what we value can be evaluated. I can evaluate whether my valuable should be valuable, or should it be less valuable than I've estimated it? I think that's an, an important one that's helpful. Let's talk about what you value. Let's talk about how much value you've put on it, and what does the scripture say about that? Should you value that? Jesus actually does this in Luke 12. He talks about valuing what you're going to put on or what you're going to eat. And it's not, it's not it, of course we should have responsible concern for what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. I appreciate the fact that many of you care about those things. It's the over-concern. Have we put too much value on them? And that's something that can be evaluated. Secondly, um, my evaluations and my estimations, how much, I've how much I've estimated this valuable and how I have evaluated the threat. Where is God in my evaluation of this threat? Where is God in this moment? And often, because we, we don't know that God cares for us or, we don't, or maybe God doesn't value what we value in the same way, um, he tells us to seek first his kingdom and often that, that one eludes us because we're so focused on our daily bread or we're so focused on our careers or something else that's valuable to us. Um, so our evaluations and our estimations can be evaluated, and then your responses to anxiety can be evaluated. And they can tell you a lot about what's going on in your heart. So some applications. What valuable is being threatened? I would encourage you to get your notebook out write down what's making you feel anxious. Why do you feel anxious right now? What is it that you're worrying about? Try and go from fruit down to root. What do you see? And then what thoughts are you having? What are you thinking about is being threatened? Can you identify what's being threatened? Maybe it's um, how people think of you at work. Or maybe it's your work product and whether or not the boss is going to be pleased and give you a raise. Or maybe it's how you're doing with your children or how your children are turning out and what that says about you. Uh, there's so many things that makes us that, that create anxiety because they're so 
big a value system in our hearts. So what valuable is being threatened? Can you identify that valuable? Let's not evaluate it yet. Let's just identify in your notebook uh, what's that valuable that you're, that you're, that's feeling threatened that you're clinging to. What evaluations did you make? How did you estimate the worth of that valuable? And how did you estimate or evaluate the threat, your resources? And the third question, where was God in all your evaluations? Um, how did you relate this threat of your valuable to God? Um, and write that down. Write that down. Is What does God say? Fourthly, what does God say about your valuable? Your treasure, right? Your treasure, what does God say about it? And, and just write just kind of freestyle. What does God say about the thing that you treasure? And then just to remind you that God has lots of grace for you, I hope that you can start to ask yourself these questions. What, what valuables being threatened? Um, how did I evaluate the situation? Estimate my valuable? Where was God in all this? Just start allowing what you're experiencing to be written on page and uh, lay it before the Lord. Say, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to let you do work in me and show me where I, in my own distortion, have gone down a path that's leading me away from you instead of towards you. And then to remind you that God has tons of grace for you. God wants, through Jesus, to give you rest for your soul. And I pray that as you engage the Lord in this, that he will begin to do that. Father, thanks for loving us. Carefully tend us as your children, we pray. In Jesus' name.